Hi, my name is Branko Mladic and you're listening to Talking Architecture and Design, brought to you from the Architecture and Design Network. Today is the third in our five-part series on residential design, proudly brought to you in association with Coroma. With over 80 years' experience, the team at Chroma believe quality bathrooms are a balance of form, function and looks. Designed and engineered for Australians, by Australians with different tastes and needs, Chroma has a wide range of classic to artisanal designs, smart designs and sustainable innovations, providing your project with everything you need. To find out more, visit www.coroma.com.au In today's podcast, we talk with Jesse Lenati from DKO about small apartment design. It is a fascinating podcast and I hope you enjoy it. Welcome to Talking Architecture and Design. My name is Branko Melodic, and today we have with us Jesse Lenardi. As DKO's Design Director, Jesse Lenardi brings to the team a particular focus on research and current international design practices. His capacity for delivering high-level architectural strategies provides an invaluable contribution to all projects, particularly at the initial formative stages. Having recently completed a number of hotels, he has a passionate interest in hospitality, and the curation of places that enrich and leave a memorable experience. Whilst always pursuing the evolution, his experience and knowledge allow for a balanced and commercial outcome. So welcome to Talking Architecture and Design, Jesse Lenardi. Hello, Brinko. Um, great to be here. There you go. Okay, so we'll be talking about uh, designing for small space and apartment living. Now, that's something that's becoming, you know, more and more important these days, isn't it? I mean, you're in Melbourne, I'm in Sydney, but apartments are popping up everywhere, aren't they? Well, definitely in the last, I would say, 20 years, there's been a strong um, movement towards uh, apartment living um, within Australia. It's a much, uh, it's it's a typology that is quite common in Europe, but yeah. certainly Australia is something that um, we've, we're only just, starting to get used to the idea of living in apartments, I think. Are you saying that we're the years behind Europe? Who knew, I guess? Sort of. On some yeah. things we are, some things we're ahead, but on, on, on a lot of things we are actually quite behind it when it comes to design. But okay, so how would you describe a small space in a, um, in, in a, in a, in a modern-day apartment or, or a small apartment? What What is a small space in, in a modern-day apartment? I mean... Are we talking kitchen? Are we talking bathroom? We're doing the whole apartment. What what is that? Well, I think well the whole thing is normally compressed. I mean, if you look yeah. at um, every part of a you know a, a contemporary small apartment in Australia, everything is probably you know at least you know ten or fifteen percent smaller than what you would generally do in say for example a detached dwelling, or maybe even more. So you know maybe a a three bedroom apartment. Generally in Australia, it might be somewhere between you know 95 to maybe 110 square meters, and a, a house of the, of the equivalent size might be 150 square meters. Um, generally, so it's probably a third um, to, to a little bit more than a third smaller. Um, generally, okay. Um, what are some examples in, of, of the type of modern day apartments uh, that that are that are being designed in Australia? I mean, is there a uh, 
how do I put this? Is there like we, we spoke about Europe, right? So mm-hmm. is there like an inspiration that, that we that, that a lot of architects um, like look to um, in terms of design or, or do we have actually our own sort of specific design for apartments? Well, I think just just to be clear, um, when I kind of talk about um, Australia and sort of the idea of getting accustomed to apartments, Europe, it's just, a, uh, I think it's an outcome of space. I mean, we have so much space here. I mean, if you look at a city um, like uh, Perth, for example, uh, and you look at the kind of plan and the way that that is evolving, it, what happens is we just keep going out further and further from the cities, whereas Europe... By, by default doesn't have the space. So they're, they're, they're forced into um, these, you know, apartment-type living. So it's not necessarily that we're behind. I think that we've just been had the luxury of, of space over time. Um, but that um, also meant that, you know, the good examples that we learned as students um, about density and um, apartment models were mostly European. And I think the one that is... You know, in my mind, anyway, the most seminal is the United Habitation um, by Le Corbusier, um, which was done in Marseille in 1952. It's in France, uh, and and for me, it was it was the first time that we real well, I really engaged in the idea that um, a compute a community and neighbourhood and landscape can be in one building, and and that in a modern like some modern contemporary um, version of that. Um, it was designed for you know, larger families, which is something we still don't do here in Australia. And it was really designed to be um, a city within a city. And I think if you, when you look back at that building now, um, all the kind of key contemporary ideas of um, apartment living or dense, dense living around, you know, sustainability, community and people as at the forefront are all in that building. So uh, it isn't a new idea, but it's, it's it's not it's seldom done well in Australia or even even still in Europe. Mm-hmm. So what I'm hearing is we're like blessed and cursed with all this damn space we have. <laughs> well, I think you know, yeah, it, in, it's only been the last ten years that there's well maybe fifteen that people really understand the kind of the implications of you know you know uh, density and, and being closer to the city and you know the um, there are a lot of good things that apartments can provide people um, that traditionally hadn't thought of. So, yeah, but we are a little bit blessed with space. Mm, yeah, we are. So just out of interest, is it easier or harder to design for a, for a small space than for a larger one? Um, like, it's, well, it's smaller, but, I mean, in my mind, it would be harder, right? But am I wrong? Well, I think, like, the obvious thing would um would be that yes, it's smaller is harder, but I think that when you have a smaller space, you really need to think um, think about um, it as a, as a flexible space. So a lot of times in in an apartment or say a small townhouse or um, spaces need to have multiple users. Um, they might they have to be flexible. So you know, in an apartment where you have a living space, then sometimes it might be a kids play space. Sometimes it might be somewhere where people need to work. Sometimes it's a social space. So the smaller spaces actually need to work harder than bigger spaces. And I think the problem with the bigger spaces are that sometimes they just become, you know, spaces for the sake of space and they actually lose their purpose or um, validity. So they both have challenges, I think. Um, um, 
Yeah, certainly I find that larger space is actually harder to design than, than small spaces, to be honest. Okay. Yeah, look, I, I guess you, you, you have to, when you have a limited floor, or floor plan or sort of floor size, I guess you have to really make sure that every nook and cranny kind of yeah. is functioning in some aspect, isn't it? Well, I think that flexibility, multi-purpose, being efficient and considered is, is you know, harder than just, you know, we'll just make it bigger by two metres because we need, you know, we think we need a bit more space. So, you know, um, they both have challenges, but, yeah, I think you're right, um, Branko. So I've heard two versions of, of apartment, of where apartments are going, by the way, and it depends who I talk to, like whether I talk to a real estate or whether I talk to an architect. I get, surprise, surprise, I get completely different, different outcomes. But so I'll ask you, is there a move yeah. to bigger or smaller apartments these days? And, and what, which one do you see and, and, and why? Well, it's an interesting question. Um, if you ask me in two years, the answer will be different. Um, you asked me two years ago, the answer is different. What I think a couple of things, historically, again, when apartments first you know, became a common, a common um, typology in Australia, they were generally like in the city or close to the city. So they're almost accepted to be small. Uh, and that was something that was done, you know, for the last, you know, maybe... 15 years, and then I think the quality of them was questioned uh, and, you know, there was a little bit of a, a negative um, stigma placed on apartments. Uh, and so generally what we find is because the market is driven by mostly by developers, they're looking for something else. So they started to look at, I guess, bigger apartments. And this has been probably in the last couple of years you've seen a move towards um, bigger apartments that are more sellable, I guess, um, to a wider market rather than thinking about apartments for only young people or a young couple. Um, maybe a bigger family might actually, you know, be able to enjoy an apartment living. I think the other thing that's happened is that um, because the value, well, there's two things, the value of prices, of property prices are so high now that you see in the inner rings of Melbourne and 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 um, Sydney that um, people are selling their house and sort of downsizing to an apartment because of the value they can get out of their, of their house and, the, and the, the value. And there's also the um, recognition that you can do an apartment within the inner ring. So it might be 5Ks, um, maybe even, you know, 6 or 7Ks out of the CBD rather than in the CBD. And so there is a different market that are looking, that are looking to buy that, you know, maybe they lived in, you know, Caulfield or, you know, Surrey Hills their whole life and now they, they still want to stay in the area, but previously they might not have had the option of of living in a apartment building in that area because they weren't that prevalent, but now they actually are more prevalent. And so the, the market has dictated they get bigger because people want more space. And, you know, if developers think they can um, um, sell something like that, they'll, they'll create that space. And it's a little unfortunate that we're, dictated generally by developer-led um, outcomes. Uh, but it's sort of, it's the way that um, that market in Australia works. Mm, interesting. Um, yeah, I was thinking about, uh, actually, when you said downsizing, it's something that crossed my mind too, because I figured there'd be a lot of people who, who want to downsize, but who don't want to, you know, go from a, 
four bedrooms to you know a studio flat. So they want some sort of balance, right? I mean, I, I guess that would be one thing I assume. Um, yeah, and that's definitely happened in the last sort of four or five years. You've certainly seen, you know, a majority of our work as a practice, or sorry, maybe fifty percent has been sort of in that five k to ten k. Uh, radius of the city where you're doing, you know, maybe the whole building's three bedrooms, four bedrooms, um, which is, again, it's a downsize apartment where people still want a bit of space, but they want to, you know, live, you know, I think a, a maintenance-free um, lifestyle yeah. where they don't have to worry about, you know, mowing their lawn or, you know, or being maybe a little bit closer to the, to the city but not in the city. So let's, look, has, I'm going to, I hate using the, the C word, COVID, um, yeah. Because I've heard it, I think about twenty billion times for the past almost three years. But yeah. has the pandemic done anything to change the way we design apartments, and if so, how? Oh well, I think fundamentally it's changed a few things. Um, definitely, uh, and and again, it's it is a sort of reactive thing. So we didn't start to see the, you know, the responses from people living in, in buildings until maybe, you know, maybe six months. Certainly in, in, in Melbourne, where we probably suffered the most in terms of lockdowns, it was really um, apparent that uh, people needed a little bit more space than that they had. They needed what was really important was uh, balconies, ventilation, and it sounds really kind of um, prosaic and almost um, simplistic, but uh, a lot of you know, apartment buildings aren't designed with people at the forefront. And, and so they, a lot of apartments didn't even have balconies. So all of a sudden you've got um, a, a population that's wanting something that, you know, takes a while to, 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 to build. So certainly amenity, sunlight, space was really um, at the forefront. The other thing that we started to look at as a, as a practice was um, this idea of, of working from place. Uh, and that, you know, it's been, I mean, even this interview over Zoom, it's very clear now that we can communicate in a, a much more fluid way and people don't need to be in the office. I think, you know, we have at least 25% of our people on a day that's working from home. And, and so we started to think about how that might be and that, you know, again, traditionally people might be working at their, their kitchen desk when they were doing it once every, you know, three weeks or four or month, but now that people are doing it all the time, there needs to be spaces designed in within apartments, but also within the building. So we would be creating things like working from place um, spaces outside of the apartment, but inside the building, so that they've got the ability to either work in their apartment, work on site, or work in the office. And so that's probably been the biggest overall change in terms of the way that that. Um, the apartment and the apartment building then operates in a kind of post-COVID. So, you know, things like, um, you know, lifts, those sort of things, you know, you might, you know, when it was all at its worst, people were thinking that, you know, we were going to have you know, touchless things and, and, you know, that still exists, but it certainly wasn't what people were screaming for. They were screaming, screaming for space to um, for the kids or to work um, within within apartment buildings that and, and, and fresh air, which they sometimes don't have the opportunity to have. 
reminds me, I read recently that Netflix's shares took a bit of a tumble for the, over the past few weeks and the reason was behind it because around the world, including Australia, obviously, you know, um, lockdowns have been eased or, or, or eliminated entirely. So <laughs> everyone's cancelling their Netflix <laughs> subscription, which is really interesting. But, yeah, I think what you're saying with the balconies and, uh, and the ability to actually breathe air would be a... Is, a, is highly underrated, I, I think. Um, yeah, and even outside communal space, like, um, you know, on, on rooftops and things that are part of that building, it's a, you know, highly yep. sort of stuff. Like, the, the good thing is that the there's a lot of good um, buildings coming online in the last couple of years that have really got, got people at the forefront of, rather than just, you know, a, a commercial transaction. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. We are indebted to Karoma, whose sponsorship of the 2022 Residential Design Series makes all this possible. If you haven't heard of a Karoma Clean Flush rimless toilet pan before and you specify bathroom products for commercial spaces where hygiene is a priority, which is basically everywhere, you are not specifying the best for your project. Coroma Clean Flush is the most effective and hygienic toilet design there is. Australian designed with patented features, the revolutionary rimless design delivers a superior flush every time and is much easier to clean than traditional toilet designs. Available across Coroma's Urbane, Liano and Luna and Care Toilet ranges. For more information, visit www.coroma.com.au And now it's back to our podcast with Jesse Lenardi from DKO. On the theme of space, so let's talk about some of the rooms in these apartments. How does apartment size affect a bathroom for that matter? So I love a big bathroom. If I have nothing else, I want a huge bathroom. But yeah. I've got the same people want big kitchens, right? And and for that matter, as I said, kitchens. How does this, in your opinion, change the way at the size of these rooms? Because these are really, I guess, important. Well, the wet rooms, I guess, if you want to call them. The most yeah. expensive are the most important in a lot of ways. How does this, in your opinion, change the way Australians view apartments and these smaller living spaces? Um, well, I think that, um, that people still view them I guess is not ideal, and I think if you, unless it's driven, or when I say driven, if unless a project is actually designed for a particular smaller group of people or a multi generational family, or and it's not, uh, you know, ninety five percent of the, the developments that are done are just done as a generic kind of mix. So you start with a client that says, "I want you know ten percent one bedrooms, twenty five percent two, and whatever, whatever." Uh, and, and and so everything gets kind of brought down to almost like a, a formula. And and that formula, unfortunately, is also um, dictated by some minimum sizes, which are um, normally driven by local government. So in Sydney, you have the SEP. In Melbourne, we have 
better apartment design guidelines. And they set out sort of minimum sizes. And so you basically get an equation that works out that, you know, a one bedroom has to be X amount and a two bedroom is X amount and et cetera, et cetera. Um, and that then dictates the sizes that work within that. There are some minimum sizes that they set, like, you know, three metres for bedrooms, and um, but they don't specify um, areas for wet areas. So they don't say that a bathroom needs to be, you know, six square metres or 10 or whatever. So what you find generally is that um, they are designed to be the most efficient that you can rather than necessarily, um, you know, large size. So again, that would probably be at least half the size that um, you would normally find in a house. And I, and I think that, you know, that's really obvious and, and people, as they, you know, um, certainly as they get older, people generally want a bit more space. And I think that that's certainly something that is viewed as a, a negative in apartments. And even the bigger apartments that we do, they're sort of generally, the kitchens will generally get bigger. You know, bathrooms might be a little bit bigger, but, you know, they're still, you know, small um, as compared to, you know, contemporary Australian housing or market housing, yeah. for example. So I think it's something that, um, you know, we can we could probably do a bit, bit better as a, as a industry. One thing, uh, I've, been, I've been to Europe a few times, I'm not obviously in the past couple of years, but when we were allowed to fly out of the country, um, yeah. One thing I, I remember joking many years ago, and I noticed that no matter what country in Europe I was in, whether it was, you know, or what city, whether it was Paris or whether it was Rome or whether it was Zagreb or whether it was Vienna, there's a rule I came up with, you know, yeah. the smaller the apartment, the bigger the dog, you know. <laughs> <laughs> You know, every time you'd walk, you'd walk past someone's apartment, he knows they've got a great day, and you know the apartment's about uh, only about sixty-five square meters. Um, so, on that point, what is the most important thing to you when you design an apartment? Like, what is the thing that you first comes to your mind, and why? Well, we normally well, there's two things. Well, well there's lots of things, but the main. First of all, we're always talking about apartments as a group of housing, so we're sort of never thinking about the individual. Um, and so there's community, which is um, really important. That's probably in the kind of first sentence that we're talking about. And when we meet, what do we mean by community? We, we, we're sort of talking about the idea of having some identity within a building. And if you have a building that's got uh, a single lift core and you've got, you know, 20 storeys and you've got 20 apartments per per um, level, then there's sort of no chance to, to find your neighbour. You know, you find your neighbour in the street. Everybody knows who their neighbour is in the, in, in the street. Um, but seldom, you know, you might find that a lot of people don't know who their neighbour is in an apartment. So we always try and, first of all, set up that opportunity for relationships within the building with the rest of the community. And we do that by making communities smaller. So we have more lift cores and we have less people per floor. Um, so that people can actually, you know, find the neighbour engaged because there is a lot of, you know, maybe people that are on their own in these buildings that we, we, we're trying to create social relationships, kids, whatever. So that's sort of the very first thing that we start with. And that comes down to, I guess, the way we master plan and master plan the building. The second thing would be um, sun, daylight, um, from both how do we get access to that and in terms of the best orientation, but then how do we manage that 
um, given heat loads on buildings and you know we you know how do we manage west sun if it's a west facing site so the sun is is, is is your best friend but it also can be the worst um, your best enemy when it comes to living in an apartment um, so that's sort of the second thing and then amenity and um, when I say amenity I mean balcony sizes usable balconies so if you've got a you know 25 story building having a balcony that's hanging out off the side of a building is probably not going to be all that usable or effective so are they sort of lodges are they winter gardens but we want that we want access to outside space and then we, but we also want access to air and then probably amenity and when we say amenity we say you know um you know access to a rooftop garden access to communal facilities etc cetera, etc cetera. so they're almost all the things that come along before we even design the apartment so that's kind of part of the, the master plan. And then within the apartment, it's probably the key thing is just flexibility. And, and when we say flexibility, it's how the space can be used in for different people over time. Um, when we're doing, you know, say a build to rent project, there might be, you know, every two years people turn over. So I live differently than you live, than, you know, my mum lives. So we try and make it so that there's opportunity for people to make it their own. Um, and and use it in the way that they want to use it so you're not dictating um, the way that the people live. So that's about having flexible plans, um, plans that can adapt to different ways of living. So that's probably our key kind of, like, I guess, process to start with. Mm -hmm. uh, something tangentially came to mind when you were saying that. Do you do a lot of adaptive reuse? Because, I mean, there's a lot of, scope for that in, in, in a inner city obviously for whether it be you know Fitzroy or Surrey Hills or whatnot. Yeah. Um and I know which is better for sustainability obviously but do you do a lot of that or is it mainly new? Oh no we do like uh well probably 80% new but like there would be like you know we've recently just done a warehouse in Carlton that had we turned into um some small townhouses slash apartments. So there is a bit of that. There's Unfortunately, not a lot of good um, buildings left <laughs> in the inner city. So, you know, it's kind of hard to find um, spaces or because adaptive reuse also needs to, you know, meet the requirements of living, I guess. Yeah, and so people need balconies and things like that. So sometimes it's, it's not, not that easy. Um, yeah. Mm, interesting. So let's talk about on the other side of the scale in the future. What do you think? will be the apartment of the future. I mean, where do you see design going or even materials? I mean, where do you see things going? I say, I mean, I, I know I'm asking you to be a guru. And tell me no, I think it's going to happen in 10 or 20 years, but what do you see? Because, I mean, obviously you, you have a different view to most other people. I th think the number one thing that that is talked about is um, sustainability. Um, within, and... and you know, there's lots of carbon words used, you know, carbon, net carbon or carbon negative, et cetera, et cetera. But I think definitely um, it's, there's, that, that'll be the number one thing. That, and, and I think that the general population is accepting and actually driving that process now, So, which is great because it means that the people that are putting it together are listening. Uh, and so that's sort of, you know, every conversation I have with every client now, whether it be a clubhouse, a house, a apartment building, whatever, it's first, you know, the first conversation is sustainability. 
Okay. Uh, okay. And that's not that's you know materials and energy use. There's there's lots and lots of things in that. So I definitely think that that's going to get better and better. I think integrated landscape, where you see a lot of imagery that is kind of got landscaping on the outside of the building, and it's sort of you know, I think it's a bit of a a lot of it's just what we call greenwash, but I think real integration of landscape within buildings is something that people are looking forward, and I and I think that that will be um, something really strong in the future. Uh, I also think that family, uh, um, family type apartments and multi generation um, apartment types will be something that is part of the future. That is really not in Australia's DNA at the moment. Um, they're very singular in their approach to apartments and then you know flexibility but i mean flexibility is something that you know is is something now but i think it also it's really it is something that's critical when you're doing um, apartments um because you are limited in what you're what you're offering is and, and then you've got the evolution of of the communal spaces which is you know constantly constantly um, evolving you know working from you know, home, you know, all those kind of spaces that, and working from place, having, you know, hubs of, 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 you know, office space in the building. I think there'll be no, like we're doing lots of developments now with no cars. So I think the cars will be something that's not part of the future as well. Okay. Wow. That's, that's interesting. Um, yeah. Okay. So what is your favourite apartment design? Why? <laughs> well, my favourite, well, my favourite, there's lots of favourites, but I think, uh, I think there's two buildings that um, Ron the Castellitis built in Melbourne, um, the Republic Tower and Melbourne Terrace, and they're sort of, they're both, you know, they're getting old now, I think 20 years, um, which is quite a long time in the history of apartments, but they were probably the, the first apartment buildings in Melbourne that actually changed people's attitude to apartment living. It was seen, and before that time, it was really seen as a, uh, a city that you, you would go to to work, um, then you would leave, uh, and and that those buildings really changed the way that people viewed uh, apartments in the city. And actually, saw the city and the CBD as a destination. I think you know one of the things that Melbourne doesn't have, uh, you know, doesn't have the beauty that Sydney has. Sydney has obviously all the beautiful water and the harbour, so you've got natural assets. Whereas we've always been a city that had to. Um, create its own desirability around culture and arts. So uh, that was a big step for our city. And, and so for that fact, and the way they contributed to the city on the ground level, you know, 20 years ago where they were activating streets and doing all the right things that people are still trying to do well now, um, I would say are probably my kind of ones that most influenced me when I was young as a young architect in, in, in Australia. Ah, uh, Jesse Lenardi, DKO Design Director. Thank you very much for your time. Great to be here. Thank you. This has been Branko Maletic, and I thank you for listening to Talking Architecture and Design, brought to you from the Architecture and Design Network. Thank you once again to Jesse Lenardi from DKO, and of course, Coroma, proud sponsors of our 2022 Residential Design Series. Be sure to check out Coroma's wonderful products at www.coroma.com.au. You can also head over to architecturedesign.com.au for all the latest industry news, projects, people, and of course, much, much more. So see you next time.